Good morning. Welcome, welcome to Central Church. Don't you love our youth band when they lead? They are awesome. Just a, a reminder, in the foyer, you can pick up one of these. This is the book of, of Romans. That's where we're going to be all summer long. And everyone can take one if you use it. Old, young, husband, wife, kid, whoever. If you're going to use it, take one. Um, more than one in a home, that's all right. Just take it because each Sunday we're going to be going through it. And there's uh, the scripture on the one side. It's blank on the other so you can take notes. We did it last summer in the book of Mark. It was great. And so we encourage you to get one. This is your first day to get it, so get one. If you online are wanting one, just come by the church and pick one up. Or you can even and mail us and say, hey, we want one down here in South Carolina, wherever you're at, and we'll mail you one. Okay, that's your commercial. We're in a sermon series called Home Cooking. I'm not giving recipes. Uh, you don't want recipes from me about how to make a bowl of Cocoa Puffs, maybe. But instead, we're giving... Uh, 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 things from God's word as to how to make our homes, recipes for godly homes, recipes for getting along in those relationships in those homes. And today we're talking about extra ingredients. Uh, and when I say extra ingredients, I mean it could be kids or aging parents. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk much more about dealing with aging parents or becoming like my kids are telling me I'm becoming an aging parent. And so we're going to be dealing with those issues in a couple of weeks. But today, it's, it's just all of those, those things that we add to our home, whether you're single or married, it's those relationships that we have besides just ourselves. And what does the Bible say about that? Well, before we get into it, there needs to be a few ground rules. And, the, and I guess the, the biggest ground rule is, especially as I refer to them as extra ingredients, it sounds like they are, are less than. That is far from the truth. For God's word tells us that every single person here is created in God's image. Amen. That you are loved and created from, from diapers to dentures. We around here, we are unashamedly pro-life. We believe in, in not just pro-birth, but pro-life from the womb to the tomb. We believe that every single person is created in God's image. Psalm 139 says, for you were created in... In, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's wombs. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. Every single one of us created in God's image from diapers to dentures is important. No matter what you've been told, no matter who has said it, God looks at you and says, you're my child. You are created in my image and you are special and you are wonderful. So that's the groundwork, but we're going to use a, a, a story from Mark chapter 5 to talk about dealing with those relationships uh, in our homes, in our lives. Maybe it's kids, maybe it's aging parents, or maybe it's just one another. How do we deal with those relationships in our home, those extra ingredients? We're told in the Bible uh, that Jesus cares for children. I sometimes at the at uh, baby dedications or infant baptisms. We'll read the passage in Matthew when the disciples are trying to shoo those parents away who want Jesus to bless their children. Jesus says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He's telling the disciples, listen, pal, if you can't figure out that the kids are important, then you just, you just don't get it. And so we understand that, that kids are important and children are important, but the Bible throughout tells us also that we are to honor our parents and that the aged are also very valuable in the kingdom of God. Next Sunday, in this service, in the 11 o'clock service, our new worship leader, Joel Close, will be here. And I've tried to get um, 
Joel, it's kind of a sneak preview. He doesn't actually start until July, but he's here next week. He'll be here one Sunday in June, and then he'll start in July. But I've tried to get Joel to come uh, and, and serve alongside me. When I was in Kansas, I invited him to come there, and I think this is either two or three times I asked him to come to Central Church. And, and finally, 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 he's coming, but he's not coming because of me, quite frankly. He's coming because his folks live in Swartz Creek, and they're getting older, and he is, is very committed to the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And so he wants to be where he can be close to his folks and help them in this stage in their life. And so and he's going to come and serve with us as well. It's, it's recognizing that our seniors, our, our parents, as they get older, are important and valuable to God. So it's not extra as in problems, it's extra as in blessings. All right. We're going to use a story from Mark chapter 5 to help us get, I'm going to give you five lessons really from a guy by the name of Jarius as how we can deal with these extra ingredients in our lives, how we can apply the biblical truths to these uh, special people in our lives. And the story in Mark chapter 5 is about a guy named Jarius, and I use this story often at funerals. In fact, this is my go-to funeral outline, Mark chapter 5. Because Jairus comes to Jesus, and Jesus goes, this is a story when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. When I'm telling this and using this story in a funeral passage or a message, I, I use the three words, the three sentences that Jesus speaks as my points in the outline. And so Jesus in this passage says, don't be afraid, just believe. They're all written in red ink. I point out in the funeral messages, those are the ones that you need to, you know, we, we're going to... Those are the words said by Jesus, important to us. First thing he says, don't be afraid, just believe. That's good at a funeral. You know, trust in God, don't be afraid, just believe. The second thing Jesus says is, is he goes to the house of Jairus and there's wailing and, and commotion going on and he says, this little girl is not dead but asleep. People laugh at Jesus, of course, when he says that. And I bring out in funeral messages how Jesus views death far differently than how we view death. Often we view death as disastrous. Many times he views death as deliverance. And then the third point in the funeral message is when Jesus says to the little girl, little girl, I say to you, get up. And at that point, you know, he raises the girl from the dead. And I say, Jesus is the death conqueror. Jesus is the death champion. And we have Jesus living in our hearts. We can be death defeaters too. So that's the, the, the funeral message. In fact, I, I used that message just yesterday. This week I had three funerals, uh, one Wednesday, one Thursday, one yesterday. And, and yesterday I used this passage. It was actually, it was a Zoom funeral. That's the first time I've done that. And so, so I was in the home with Patrick Naswell and his mom had passed away, his mom June, and we were in the home and it was a Zoom. There were people in Trinidad and New York and Connecticut all over. Uh, it's the world in which we live, you know? So we do Zoom everything. Yesterday was a Zoom funeral. But it was really, actually, it was very, very uh, meaningful and, and very good. But this is a passage I use. But for us, for today, I don't want us focusing on the words of Jesus, as important as the words of Jesus are. I want us to focus on Jairus and how he applied the words of Jesus into his life. Again, I'm going to give you five uh, examples of how Jesus, or how Jairus applied these uh, words of Jesus into his life. But before we get there, let's really understand the, the story. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 begins this way. Jesus got into a boat again and went to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come to her, lay your hands on her, heal her so she will live. All right, let me stop right there. This is the only words of Jairus that are recorded. 
And he sees Jesus, and, and we're told that he's the synagogue ruler, a very important person. But he doesn't, uh, he's not surrounded by an entourage of yes men. No, he goes and begs Jesus to go to his house. He's desperate for Jesus to go to his house. His daughter is sick. That's how we find that out. In fact, she's at the point of death. Some of you know exactly the type of prayer that Jairus is praying. Some of you have prayed that prayer for your sick and dying child. We've got folks in our congregation this week, one of the funerals this week was for a guy named Gentry Farmer. Gentry was only 27 years old. His mom was sitting right there. And she's walked that lonely road. She, she, she's prayed that prayer. Be with my child. Some of you have prayed that prayer. And if that's you, if you've done that, whether it was 30 years ago or this week, know that Jesus goes with you and Jesus is beside you and Jesus walks that road with you. Amen. So Jerry's is desperate. Some of you have prayed that desperate prayer not because your child is dying, but because your child is wayward. Some of you don't even know where your child is. You wish you could call him up on the, on the phone or call her on the phone. You don't know where she is. She wouldn't answer even if you had her number. Some of you know exactly the prayer that Jairus is praying because you've prayed it. God, you've got to get to my kid. You've got to help my kid. You've got to rescue my kid. I don't even know where they're at or what they're doing. God, you've got to move there. You've got to do something. You've prayed that prayer. Some of your, your kids are, maybe they're in jail or they're in drugs or they're who knows where. And you know exactly exactly where Jairus is coming from. Let me just talk to our students that are here or students online. Let me tell you, you can can turn your nice, uh, honorable, uh, together parents into a jumbled mess of emotions and desperation. You can do it very easily just by turning your back on God, forgetting the things you learned in Sunday school, becoming very selfish, involving yourself in whether it's premarital sex or, or drugs or, or, or pornography or just extreme selfishness. You can turn your parents into a hot mess. I've seen it happen. You know, next week is Mother's Day and, and the, the best thing you can do for your folks is to walk in the faith. I've told you before, my favorite verse, becoming more and more my favorite verse, 3 John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. To know that our kids are following after Jesus, that's the best thing. Well, Jairus is, is, is a mess. His daughter is sick. He begs Jesus to go. And so, and so Jesus takes off. In verse 35, we, we, we read this. Then the messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no dose troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked, while well, this commotion, weeping, the child is not dead but asleep. That's point two of my funeral sermon. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room with the girl who was lying. And he holding her hand, he said to her, little girl, I, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up, walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And there you have it. Jesus takes off with them. And before they get very far, messengers come from his house. 
it's too late. Your, your daughter put up a brave fight, but it's too late. Tell Jesus to, to go on back to what he's doing because you've got to come home and we've got to make funeral plans. It's too late, it's too late, it's too late, it's too late. And maybe my, my favorite passage in this whole, favorite verse in this whole passage is verse 36. And it's not even the red letters of Jesus. Don't be afraid, just believe. It's the black letters that follow or that precede the red letters. It's when Mark writes this. In some versions, it says this. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Ignoring those naysayers. Ignoring those that say, say there's no hope. Ignoring those that say, say it, it is too far gone. Ignoring those that say, forget it. Just leave them, let them, they're, they're, they're too far gone. Ignoring what they say. Sometimes faith, sometimes faith is sticking cotton in our ears. And ignoring those naysayers around us that say, there's no hope, there's no way, it's done, it's over, they're too far gone, they're too lost, it's too whatever. Faith is sticking cotton in your ears and saying, no, you don't understand the God I serve. He's the one that came out of the grave. You don't understand. It's not too far gone. Ignoring what they said. Sometimes we in the church even, we need to do that. You know, there's so many naysayers out there. You know, membership is down from, uh, from before. This is the lowest numbers in history. Gallup poll just came out with that. And young people are leaving. They're not coming back. And blah, 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 blah. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Sometimes we, in the church, we just need to ignore what they say and believe that God still is at work and God still loves America and God still loves uh, 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 people and God wants a great revival to come when we need to ignore what they say and trust in God Almighty. That's where faith comes in. So Jesus, you know, that's when the story, that's when the story takes off because Jesus takes over and they start going to Jairus' house. And when they arrive, of course, there's weeping and wailing as you would expect when a 12-year-old has just passed away. And there's a great commotion going on and that's when Jesus goes in and, and says, this girl is not dead but asleep. And of course, everyone laughed at Jesus. The Bible says they laughed at him, they mocked him. Ha, some prophet you are. You can't tell the difference between dead, dead, and dead, tired. She's not dead, tired, mister. She's dead, dead. And anybody can tell that she's dead, dead. And let me just take a little tangent and say, if you've ever been mocked for your faith, whether it's at school or at work or even at home, if you've been mocked for your faith, you're in good company. Jesus was mocked too. And so Jesus then says in verse 40, he made them all leave. And let's not just skip over that phrase. It's kind of an important phrase. It's the exact same words that Mark uses when Jesus chased the money changers out of the temple. Remember that story? Jesus goes to the temple. There's all this commotion going on. It's a giant flea market. And he flips over the tables. And he goes kind of Indiana Jones and he gets out a whip and he starts whipping it around and flips it. You know, it's just, it's just not the, the meek, mild Jesus like you might imagine. That's the same words that, that Mark uses right here. In fact, it's the same words that, that the New Testament uses 38 times to describe what Jesus says to the demons when he's chasing demons out of people. And so this isn't, you know, meek, mild little Jesus saying, oh, excuse me, I know you think that I'm insane, saying the girl is dead, de tired, but not dead, dead, but could you all please exit in an orderly fashion, please, two by two, just go. This isn't it, that's not it at all. I think, I think Jesus has a little fire in his eyes, and he says, get out, you non-believing, no faith, you know, unbelieving, get your, get your keisters out of here. I don't know if Jesus uses the word keisters. But if he would, that's, this is the time he would use it. Just get out. And of course, Jesus takes uh, five people with him, Mr. and Mrs. Jarius, and the three disciples, James, John, and Peter, and they go into the room. And the Reader's Digest version is 
five, six people go in, but seven people come out. And everyone was completely, the Bible says, amazed and overwhelmed by what Jesus had done. Great story. Five lessons from Jairus, Jairus's actions. How do we apply Jesus' words, those three sentences, phrases, written and read, into our lives? What does Jairus do? Well, the first thing that we can learn from Jairus is that he understood his role. We're told twice in this passage, it's a brief passage, but we're told two times, as if Mark is super impressed, that Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's the leader of the synagogue. Did you know that? He's the leader of the synagogue. Synagogue leaders were really important in those days. That would be the person that was in charge of the community's civic affairs, town mayor, educational affairs, superintendent of schools, and religious affairs, the best preacher in town, all rolled into one guy. He is important. He is as VIP as VIP can get. He's the most important person in that community. But he's not surrounded by an entourage of yes men when he comes to Jesus. He's not making a list of things that, that need to be done. Hey, make sure the, sweet, the street sweepers get their job done. Hey, make sure the kids are getting the right books to, to learn from. Hey, Jesus, we need to have a conversation about the, about the religious affairs of our community. That's not it at all. He doesn't approach Jesus as the synagogue ruler. He approaches Jesus as the desperate dad. Yes. He approaches Jesus as the one that desperately needs Jesus to get to his house because his daughter is dying. You know, we need to sometimes, and our roles change throughout life. It may be that you're a student and your role now is to, to be a student and to be a, 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 a person of, of, in the home that is a, giving their, their input into the home and being a blessing to the home. That may be your station in life. When we were in Kansas, Carla's job, well, Carla had several jobs. She was wife, pastor's wife. Uh, she, was, she was insurance queen of the insurance office that she ran. She, in fact, just this week, this week, she got a, a commission check from her insurance days back in Kansas. She got a, a huge commission check, 27 cents. I told her, I said, baby, you can spend all that money all on yourself. Don't give me a thing out of that money. That's all yours. You spend it however you want. All 27 cents. I said to her, she asked me, how much do you think it's for? I said, $2.27. She said, subtract $2. That's it, 27 cents. But her most important job in those days was mom, right? She was, our boys were at home, and, and Carla uh, was just, she's a great mom. She still is a great mom. So we moved here. When we moved here, Ben was going to Olivet, his freshman year at Olivet, and we thought, woohoo, we're empty nesters, yippee, let the party begin, we're empty nesters, the kids are out of the house, woohoo, and that, yeehaw, says Owen, and he's right, and, and that lasted about, you know, two weeks, because part of the reason we came here, like Joel, was my mom was here, and Carlos folks were here, and we quickly learned that her role had changed from mom to daughter. And for the last, you know, seven and a half years, she's been daughter. We'll talk about aging parents in a couple weeks. But that's a different road that we hadn't traveled, quite honestly. My folks, my folks, you know, the Lord was kind in many ways. My mom was, when we moved here, my mom was living and she had a heart attack and she didn't survive surgery three weeks later and she went to heaven. My mom knew that was a possibility and she made all the arrangements. My dad, when he passed away 10 years ago, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer 
and three weeks later he was in heaven. My dad would have written the script just that way. It hasn't been that way for Carla. And she's learned that being a daughter can be a full-time job. And that our parents are valuable. And when when the Ten Commandments say honor your father and mother, it means honor them always, no matter their age. Well, Jarius understood his role. He was, he was no longer synagogue ruler. He was desperate dad. And the second thing we can learn from Jarius is he goes to Jesus. No matter, no matter who those extra ingredients are in your life, kids or parents or, or relatives or family or friends or whomever, take them to Jesus. That's what Jarius does. He goes to Jesus. He goes and he goes and he prays and he says, Jesus, you've got to come to my house. You've got to come to the house. My, my daughter is dying. We don't know what to do. You've got to come. And for some of us, that's where we're at. You know, if our kid is wayward or if our parents are in trouble, it's just taking them to Jesus. It's constantly taking them to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you've got to work, you've got to work, you've got to work. And quite honestly, I think this point, number two, is pretty easy for us. When our kid is wayward, when our kid is in trouble, when our parents are, are struggling, it's easy to pray for them. It's easy at least to begin to pray for them. And then we pray and we pray and pray. The problem comes when it's gone on for a while. And we don't see them as much. And, and, and we don't hear from them. And it's easy to skip a day. And then a day becomes two days. And two days becomes a week. And then once a month, we remember to pray. Listen, like Jairus, let's, let's take them to Jesus every day. Yes. Amen. I know sometimes that's hard. When we think about the choices they've made or where they're at, it's hard. And it's hard, and, we, and we, it, sometimes it's easier to forget. But, but, but we've, if we're not praying for them, who is? If you're not praying for your grandkids, who is? You've got to pray for them. You've got to take them to Jesus every single day. Lord, you know where they're at. You know what they're doing. I don't know. You know. Would you work? We've got to learn from, from Jairus. We understand our role. We take them to Jesus. And then Jairus, he listened to Jesus. It's not just taking them to Jesus. That, that part is maybe the easy part. It's then listening for Jesus, listening to Jesus as he speaks into our life. We said earlier, every one of you is valued. Every person is valued. We are all created in the image of God. We're valued. And God loves everybody. But you know, when there's sin going on in our house, we're going to talk about this actually next week, but when there's sin going on in our house, when there's problems in our house, I don't think God blesses everyone. And if we are forgetting about God, forgetting about God, forgetting about God, but then go to him and say, hey, oh, by the way, would you take care of my kid? We need to listen to God, and maybe sometimes God will say, listen, I'll take care of your kid for sure, but there's some areas in your life that you need to clean up. There's some things going on in your home that aren't, aren't pleasing to me. And, it, and it's amazing to me that people think that God's going to bless their, their house when their house is full of, of greed or selfishness or anger or lust or you name the sin, pride, whatever it could be. And God's looking and saying, are you serious? Why don't you get your life, why don't you get your house in order? Jairus not only went to Jesus, he listened to Jesus. And the fourth thing he did, he, 
he made a way for Jesus to work. Remember when Jesus got to his house and the people were carrying on all the commotion like you would expect. These are friends and family of Jairus. These aren't strangers, right? They're friends and family. They're the people that Jairus knows. They're crying. They're weeping over this girl who, who, who just died. And Jesus shows up and he just kicks them out. He tells them, you know, the girl is not dead. She's asleep. And they laugh at him. He says, all right, everybody out, 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 out. And Jairus... He's right there. He says, yeah, everybody, out, 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 right now. Get out, get out, get out. Every one of you, get out. And he chased him out. He made a way for Jesus to work. He created the environment for Jesus to work. Sometimes we need to do that. And what I mean by that is our lives can get so busy, we can't even see Jesus at work. Or our priorities get so messed up, we forget about it. It's easy to forget about this hour or miss you know, youth group or Bible studies and just kind of, our lives get so hectic. There's sports and there's dance and there's this and there's that and tithing, what's that? And we need to create space for Jesus to work in our lives. That's what, that's what Jairus is doing. Everybody out, we got to go in. And so Jesus and Jairus and Mrs. Jairus and James and Peter and John, they went in. And they were trusting that something was going to happen. I guess that's the last point. It's trusting that Jesus will work. Maybe that's where you are hung up. You know, you've taken that situation, that kid or that, that parent or that circumstance to Jesus and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And you've listened for Jesus and maybe just straightened around. What does that mean? That means I'm going to... I'm going to pray, and 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 a week will go by, and a month will go by, and I'm keep on praying, and maybe a year will go by, and I'm going to keep on praying. Why? Because that kid, that parent is too valuable. And if they're lost, or if they're wayward, or if they're in trouble, or they're sick, it's too important. And I'm going to keep on praying. Why? Because I trust and believe that the God and the, of the creator of the universe hears me when I pray. And as much as I love them, as much as I care for them, he loves them more. And as much as I want them to be right with God and in heaven for all eternity, he wants that more. So what am I going to do? I don't know how God works. It's above my pay grade. I just know this. He tells me to pray. And I'm going to pray. And I'm not going to stop praying and I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe that the God who came out of the grave still hears, still works, still moves and I can still trust.